Good day, everyone. You're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 204. Let the words come to life. I'm your host, Alex, and today I have the honor to have Jade as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing really, really good. I'm really glad to be here, man. Jade and I have been internet friends for a while now. She, like, it's just been a supportive friendship. And hopefully one day we meet each other. We were talking about the weather and how I was suggesting to Jade to not come to Canada during the wintertime. And it's probably the best idea. Summertime might work best. (laughs) Yes, summertime will definitely work best. I'm a Florida girl through and through the cold and I are not friends. We do not speak. You know what? As long as I wear a hat, the sun won't hit my bald head. We're good. Uh, So yeah, today we're not going to be talking about the weather, as apparently I do in a lot of episodes. But today we're going to be talking about Jade's hobby, which is reading. Which Yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was going to say, you're going to read this episode. I don't have transcripts. I wish I did. But that's another story for another day. Uh, Just read my... Feelings. Yes, there you go. Okay. Uh, We're going to be talking about Jade's (laughs) hobby of reading. But before we jump into the book, the reading, who is Jade? That's a great question. Um, So I'm Jade. That's me. And I am a 21-year-old writer from Tampa, Florida. I'm a lover of life. Uh, I have my own production company, WGC Productions, which is how I met Alex, like through uh, the podcasting side of my life. I'm a lover of people and of cats and an okay person with dogs. And I'm just generally happy to be here, here being everywhere. You know what? I love cats too, but I'm allergic to cats. So it's a love hate. And for some reason, I remember I was walking somewhere and I actually found an abandoned kitten in a bush and ended up finding it and gave it to a friend. And now the kitten's really healthy. Yeah. So. Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah. But I had allergies the whole time while holding the cat. I'm like, (laughs) sneezing. I'm going to save you. But isn't that worth it? Isn't (laughs) it worth it? A true hero. Yeah. Yes. Boost my ego. That's what I need right now. Yes. Oh, okay. Mm, okay. You. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so step away from my ego side of life. Do you have any social media links, websites, or projects that you're working on that you would love to share with the listeners? Yeah, definitely. So uh, projects just in general, again, I have my own production company, WGC Productions. You can find it and learn more about it at WGCProductions.com. And actually, the day that we're recording this um, is the season finale for one of my shows, Small Victories, which I wrote and created and produced. And you can find that on the website. And currently, auditions are open for my next project, which is an improv comedy podcast. And you can also find a link to audition for that on the website, WGCProductions.com. It's all very central. I'm sorry, uh, improv comedy? That sounds like up my lane. Um, so yeah. guess what? <laughs> this episode's coming out in a few months, so I'm going to sign up before all of y'all. So ha ha. Look at you. Get Look the inside scoop. Yeah, it being very productive. So but actually, yeah, I'll put all that down below so people can go check that out and show you some love. And as much as I want to talk more about the improv comedy, I'm going to have to hold myself back. We're going to talk about your hobby of reading. And now the cliche question I ask at the beginning of every episode is, how did you get introduced to your hobby? But reading is something that a lot of kids get into, right? So I'll I'll twist the question a little bit. So what was the moment that you realized, wow, I really love reading? That is a really good question. Very specific. And I don't quite know how to... Answer. I suppose I can go back to, I suppose, I think the most honest answer would be the, um, when I was in second grade, I moved to Tampa. So I was six. And when I moved here, we kind of, um, it was kind of hard to acclimate. Cause again, I was six. 
uh, I've always been younger than my peers, not only because I have an early birthday, but I also skipped a grade. So I've been like about two years younger than everybody in the rest of my class. So it's been kind of hard to like, you know, relate. So on top of my age, on top of being the new kid in uh, the new kid in school, uh, you know, it's just a very kind of difficult transition process emotionally. And so but in my second grade class, we're reading the BFG. And that was a time when I was really able to, you know, just sort of relax and be invested and connect to my peers and things. And it was really just a, a really nice uniting experience. That was just a very, just nice. It was just really, it was just a really, really pleasant time for me as a young kid, like just the reading time in, uh, at school. And I think it just sort of transferred over on top of me being read to at home by my loved ones, which is also pretty great. So BFG was the book that unlocked your passion for reading. Yeah, the BFG by Roald Dahl. So I guess my other question, did you end up buying that book or was there another book that you went out of your way that you bought saying, this is the book I really want to start to read and like my reading journey? Mm. Uh, did I buy the book? No, because as a child, I was <laughs> a bit of not a delinquent. I was very straight laced, but I have <laughs> I had one vice and that vice was me uh, pilfering books from my teacher's libraries. Uh, personal shame. So I definitely did take that book from my second grade teacher, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. We're not <laughs> admitting to like any a book crimes that I here. Bought no. specifically, <laughs> the statute of limitations is all up. <laughs> but uh, a book that I bought specifically. Uh, so in middle school, uh, there were middle school, middle school grade, middle grade books have a lot of really good books. They're like fun and inventive, and they have a lot of plot behind them. And so I'd say it's a toss up between the book series. Uh, the name of this book is Secret. So that the Secret series, that whole series was like a really big push for me. I ended up buying all those, making my mom buy it and have disposable income, but making my mom buy all those books and I would read them over and over. And then it was that. And then the mysterious Benedict society. Uh, those were like some of the first books that I read. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fun and cool. And there's so much going on and I love it. Do you still have those books in your collection? I have the secret series. I don't know what happened to my copy of the mysterious Benedict society. No clue. It's somewhere hidden. The, your teacher took it from you. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's her right. It's, it's uh, eye for an eye. <laughs> now, it's got me wondering, this is a really weird question. I didn't write this down, but <clears throat> from your beginning process of reading to today, have you noticed a change in how stories are created? Are, did they like change for the better in the way that you really appreciate it now? Or you're more of a fan of the more classic by classic, I mean, books you grew up with? A little because uh, I try to be really eclectic in the things that I read. Um, this became especially true in like the latter parts of high school and college um, when I was just trying to like get a better grasp of international fiction and just trying to get a better idea of like the other ways that people from around the world tell stories. Because it's very easy to say, oh, a story has a beginning, a middle and end. It's very linear. It's, you know, very it adheres to the Joseph Campbell style of writing. But that's not necessarily true. Like some like some stories, some narratives in Japan have a more circular structure where it's not so linear or some uh, stories from Ghana have like a more specific structure that's not so focused on the individual, but like it stretches. Like, so have I noticed how stories changed? Yes, but that's just because my selection grew. And how have, and do I adhere, um, stick to some of the stories that I read when I grew up? Not really. I've gotten more into um, nonfiction and more upmarket fiction as time has gone on. Um, but that's just been doing, that's just, again, due to like a, a shifting in personal interest. And I'm sure I'll go back to more mass market paperback fiction in the future because it's just fun stuff. Which is actually a perfect segue to my following question. So what are the genres you prefer? Yeah, right now I'm really, right now I'm really, really in a nonfiction groove. I just, you know, the world's such a curious place 
and I'm officially an adult. So it's my responsibility <laughs> as a citizen, not only of my country, a citizen, not only of my culture, but a citizen of the, the sort of world for me to be better educated about it. I mean, like there's just so much to know and so much to learn, which is part of the reason I like books, because books are legitimately full of things that I, I, I never knew I didn't know. Um, and so it's been a lot. It's been like really focused on that. Like one of the last books that I was into was Kremlin Rising, which was about uh, Putin's rise to power in Russia. And I picked that book up because of the war in Ukraine, just to like get a better understanding. But like that's kind of where my head is at, just me trying to become a better, uh, better citizen through the joys of reading. That's where I'm at. And, you know, I feel like you go for it for the educational aspect and which is lovely and you get to expand your mind. And this is also odd. I've asked in my last interview about somebody reading this question kind of came up and I'm like, hmm, this might be a good question as well. What is your preferred method to consume books? Now, you mentioned paperback, which is a thing, but are you the type of person who is open to, let's say, audiobooks or what was it, the other one? Uh, was it audiobooks? Oh, was like another the ebooks? Uh, e like yes, ebooks, ebooks, yeah, ebooks, and also just audiobooks. So people reading the books out loud so you can listen to it while you're on the go. Uh, I am not. I am a hard copy paperback kind of girl all the way. Audiobooks don't vibe with me just because I'm a fast reader and it's faster for me to read a book than for me to listen to it. Like for instance, if I was to read uh, like Lord of the Flies, I'm say Lord of the Flies because that's what I'm reading right now. But if I was to read Lord of the Flies, it's about like a 200, 300 page book, which means it's going to take me at most two and a half hours to read it. And if it was an audio book, it would take me at least twice the time because of how they speak. And that's just not, that's just not uh, what I, what I desire. So I'm definitely a hardcover or I'm definitely like a physical copy kind of person. Okay. Hear me out. I, this might not be the best solution, but what if, and just, just what if <laughs> we had Twista or Tech Nine or Busta Rhymes or Eminem reading the book at top speed? Okay. <laughs> Personally, if I, if Twista was reading Lord of the Flies, I would listen to that in a heartbeat because I would just be so curious. I would love to hear him rap about like Piggy and Simon and the whole gang. <laughs> Just with the flow and everything. <laughs> uh -huh. I think that, that'd be great. That's truly, truly the vision that I want to see in the world. All right. So Twista, if you <laughs> are listening, nine. if you're Tech Nine, Twista, any of you, if you are listening and would love to read, do an audiobook for Jade, Jade would greatly appreciate it. <laughs> I absolutely would. Get the whole, get everybody on it. All the best rappers can go. Oh my goodness. You're just the book would end in like five minutes. Let everybody have it. Yeah. It's a five minute book. <laughs> <laughs> So what is the actual book you're currently reading right now? Uh, so I'm the kind of person who likes to read multiple books at a time. Uh, so I am reading Lord of the Flies by William Golding. I'm reading The New Negro Aesthetic by Elaine Locke, a Howard alum. Uh, I'm also reading Fear of Black Consciousness by Lewis R. Golden. And I'm about to start The Mammary Plays by Paula Vogel. When you do read these books, do you ever see yourself as one of, let's say, the protagonist or another character in the book? Sometimes it depends on the book. Uh, like today, I uh, finished reading a book about high schoolers, uh, high school girls. And uh, it was like a, you know, like a young adult book. And I saw myself, I, I was, I didn't necessarily see myself as the characters, but I was really easily able to identify with the characters and like get hype with the characters as like they, as their reactions. But, it, but like when I'm reading Elaine Locke's The New Negro Aesthetic, there were definitely, there were definite times where I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily thinking about me as an individual, but like me as I function in like a collective of like black American society of being like, ah, oh, yes, that is relevant to 
me as a part of a group uh, still, but it's not like me specifically, Jane Madison Scott, the 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 girl in, or woman. You know, it's it's more like a sort of broader broader idea of how of my culture. Basically, saying that everybody has a little part that you can connect with, and I completely yeah, understand a, that. There's always a little something. Yeah. No, this is still in the same train of thought. Is there a person or a character? Let's say not just character, but let's say author character or anybody like that, that you, that is dear to you, that you, you just connected with just whether the way they wrote or how that character per, was portrayed in the book. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, quick backstory that is relevant. I swear. Um, <laughs> in the, in like when I was 15, 16 in my senior year of high school, in, the, in when I was 15 and 16 in my senior year of high school, Natasha Pierre and the Great and the Great Comet of 1812 came out. It was a Broadway show. It was based on a small sliver of War and Peace. And I fell in love with the show. I was like all about it. I go, I went to go see it in Broadway uh, with the original cast. I was like super into it. And so the summer before college, I read War and Peace. And I had the great fortune of finding out that War and Peace was my favorite book. It was like really, really good. Um, and it did such a good job of creating such a like a large world over the course of decades with these really interesting and complex characters that have like extremely intricate narratives that overlap with each other. And Tolstoy was really just in his bag. And so for authors who are dear to me, it's Tolstoy, because after I read War and Peace, I went on to read some of his other works like Anna Karina. And I have a couple of his short story collections with me that I picked up from the bookstore Capitol Hill Books up in D.C. It's wonderful. And for favorite characters, the protagonist of One Piece, Pierre, is legitimately my guy. He's just he's just such a well-written man that he like feels like an honest to God human being. And it's just I haven't found anything quite like it. It's just so good. Now, you mentioned a play as well. So it leads me to ask, when you read these books, do you, let's say, ever go watch a movie or a play saying, oh, wow, it really represented the book pretty well or wow they kind of butchered it but i, I kind of get what they're trying to do yeah no i do that i do that a lot with agatha christie novels but that's just because i like really like her fiction her mysteries and so watching the movies is like oh this is fun and uh a lot of the times they just they make a lot of adaptations and have been making a lot of adaptations of her work through a variety of mediums through a variety of decades with a variety of people and sometimes they really slap like the bbc and I want to say like end of the 2000s and the beginning of the 2010s, they put out this Miss Marple series, uh, like a, a television show, easily one of the best adaptations I've seen. But there were others where it's like other movies by the BBC that they made, that they adapted from books that are really like, you really missed every interesting thing in this book. And that's really, and that's really upsetting for me personally. I mean, like it, it, there really is a range, man. There really is a range. It just really depends. And whoever picks up the project to work on it, it could be a swing and a miss, right? Absolutely. And when it comes to these books, I'm sure you're not just going into a bookstore, closing your eyes and just throwing your hand and that's the first book you read. So what is your process when it comes to choosing a new book? Oh, so this has changed. When I was younger, I uh, used to take the book and I used to read the last line of the book. So I would just like take it off the shelf, flip to the back, look at the last line on the page, say, Okay, that's interesting. Then I'd flip to the front, read the first line and be like, okay, yeah, that seems like it's going to be a good story, uh, front to back to front. And so I would pick it. But nowadays, I usually, uh, I don't really buy new books anymore so much. I just go to the library. And uh, when it comes to that, I judge the book by its cover. 
think, yes, this cover is interesting. <laughs> then I read, <laughs> then I read the summary on the back or in the book cover, if it's one of those books that has like the quotes on the back, don't like those. But um, I read the book summary and I'll be like, okay, yeah, this works for me. And I'll just take it home. And if it, and if I don't like it, I'm getting it from the library. So I just take it back. It's a very seamless process. So you heard it here first, people. Jade judges books by the cover. So and you know I'm that proud term? of it. <laughs> so you know that term, don't judge a book by its cover? Yeah, that's, that's thrown <laughs> out the window. You do that. And for some reason, when you said that you read like the last sentence of a book, I can just imagine the last sentence was, and they all died. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, there is a spoiler. <laughs> It gives me something to look forward to. <laughs> the whole book is a mystery. Like, who's going to die? Who's going to survive? We're like, well, I already know. <laughs> they all die. <laughs> yeah, it's all done. I mean, honestly, though, that would be pretty sad. There are some books where, like, that happens, and that be that would be disappointing. <laughs> Actually, speaking about being disappointed, it's a weird segue, but what books, and it's not to be harsh, but what books have disappointed you, and what books blew away your expectations? Okay, disappointed me. And this is only disappointing because I love her as an author and I've read other books of hers that I really like, like Sula. But I tried to get through Beloved by Toni Morrison and that was not, it was not satisfactory in the least bit. And I understand that other people like it. I really do. I get it. It came out in a very specific time in American history. We were going through some things. I I understand why it was such a groundbreaking novel. And I appreciate Toni Morrison for all that she does and continues to do for Black authors. Uh, But that was not the book. Sula's the book. Sula is a really, really good book. And Toni Morrison put her whole foot in that. But Beloved had nary a pinky toe. I, I'm sorry to say, but it's true. And books that blew me away. Mm, books that blew me away. Whether it's the cover art or the last sentence of the book or <laughs> just a person in the book, anything at all. that It could be a minor thing or a major thing. Anything that blew you away. Okay, so Robert Caro's Caro? Caro. Robert Caro, he's a biographer, and he wrote The Power Broker back in the 70s. And it remains, it's like a huge, it's a tome of a biography. And it is about Robert Moses, my personal historical enemy, who <laughs> who <laughs> is... <laughs> who was a city planner in New York in the early 20th century and effectively changed the way that people planned cities forever. And he became one of the most powerful men in New York for his time without ever being elected to an office. And Robert Caro creates such an elaborate and elegant, he just, he creates such an elegant picture of New York and such a detailed picture of Robert Moses, who is essentially like by the end of his life, a shell of a man who's so consumed by his lust for power that he'd forsake everything else that makes him human. I mean, like it really was, I, I read it during like my sophomore year of college. Like it, it consumed a lot of my time. It was a, that's a really good book. I'm trying and I have been trying to get through because he has a four part series on Linda B. Johnson. Um, and I, I asked for those books. I asked for that book set for my 19th birthday and I got it. And I have ever since been trying to get through it, but I can't get past like the first 200 pages of the first book. It's, it's my white whale at this point. So why are you not able to get past to the two first 200 pages? Is there like super glue that they're super glued together that you can't open it or? Alex, I wish I knew. It's such good writing. He does, he does such a good job. And I just can't, I just don't know why. I just don't know why. And I, I think it's just because it takes up a lot of time, right? Because again, it's four pages. These books are long. I think like the first book is like 600, 700 pages. And it, there's just some mental block maybe. Uh, of me just like having to be like, wow, I'm really going to read almost, I'm going to read hundreds and thousands of words on Lyndon B. Johnson. I don't know. I don't know why. 
I find myself physically incapable of getting through that book, but so help me God, I will. You know what? It's because the pages get heavier and heavier as you turn them. That's Honestly, it's a trick. Who knows? <laughs> that's why like you get like a one arm that's just so muscular is because you're just flipping like a hundred pounds a page. <laughs> Linda B. Johnson is gonna is gonna build my muscle definition. Yeah, words are heavy. <laughs> words are heavy. <laughs> uh so for you, what would you say is the best part about reading books? The whole ritual of it. Just you know, when I read a book, I like to, you know, turn my phone, like turn my phone over, maybe turn on like a warm lamp, sit on a couch and just sit back and just be quiet. And every now and then, because I'm a talkative person, uh, I like to like maybe make explan- exclamations like, oh, wow, I can't believe you're doing this. Or I like to tell the character like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. But I like the whole ritual of just me being by myself without really, you know, being by myself, but just like, you know, sitting and relaxing and just being quiet and being still. See, you know, now you have me asking so many questions because I'm going to keep some order. So by defining your perfect scenario, what is your perfect time of, let's say, day? Or let's say, do you like reading by the window when it's raining? Like, what, yeah, let's start with a day one. Like, what is your perfect time of day to read? Is it like right before going to bed or? Oh, either really early in the morning or a few hours before I go to bed. So like after I finish working and I'm just like, I just don't want to do anything you know, or not do anything, but I don't want to do anything really strenuous. I don't want to go on a walk. I don't want to tend to my plants. I just want to be by myself. So I just, you know, sit down on the couch, crack open a book and just let it, let it all be. It's funny you say going on a walk because one of my earlier interviews, I interviewed somebody who likes to read while walking. That is his Oh, hobby. that sounds strenuous. <laughs> okay. More power yeah. to him. <laughs> While he's lifting those 1,000 pound pages, he's working out his legs as well. So it's a full body mm-hmm. workout. Uh, mm-hmm. So my other question to you was that you're saying you're a very expressive person and you get really into the book. Do you ever, let's say, add a voice to the characters? Not necessarily just out loud, but just in your mind, like every character has a specific specific voice and you have a vivid description or like image of how they look. No, not really. Uh, and I kind of, I'm very curious on to how, ha- on how other people do this as well. But when I read a book, very rarely am I actually like legitimately staging how it looks. So for instance, for Lord of the Flies, right? Um, when they're going around the island, I'm not necessarily really imagining them going around the island as much as I'm reading about them going around the island. If I get really into it, I might start to like genuinely imagine like, oh, this is what's happening. But I don't have some magical moment where I'm like transported to another plain and the characters become real and flesh and new you know it's more like i understand that i understand that i'm reading i am very well aware of the physical situation around me i'm not transported i'm not so engrossed as to forget myself yeah and that's why they have movies you can just watch lord of the fly movie there you go you could oh but it's different it's different oh i suppose (laughs) i suppose okay so i i suppose then since you said that i do i do think of a little differently when i imagine it because I suppose I do imagine in my mind, because if I saw a movie of a book, I would be thinking, oh, that's not how I saw it. So I suppose somewhere in there, I am, I do have some sort of picture, even if it's not as concrete as other people make it sound. I don't know why, but I can imagine you, you go to a movie, you're like, oh, I can't wait to see this movie. And they show a specific character. You're like, oh, really? That's, that's the look not, you run with? <laughs> yeah, that's not who I was thinking of. You messed up what I was thinking. No, no, no. <laughs> who's your casting? Who's your casting director? <laughs> Read my mind. This is what I want. <laughs> uh, so this is 
weird question as well, but what was your biggest challenge when you first started reading? And I don't necessarily mean like you're three years old trying to learn the alphabet, but I mean more as in, was it harder to find, let's say, specific books or finding books that were more challenging to you or books that you preferred? I suppose it really was just sort of finding the kinds of books that I wanted, right? So when I was younger, again, when I moved to Florida, I was six. And so when I was younger and I lived in the suburb, so it's not exactly like you could just go to the library all the time because the library was an hour and a half away by foot. And yeah, I could have my mom drive me, but you know, I like to do stuff on my own. So the access that I had was my school library. And my school library, of course, is fitted towards children. And I don't know, I don't know in Canada. Okay. So in my school, they had like a system where they would judge your reading ability and then they would like label books with the things that were on your level. They kind of like the ARB. They did that for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that frustrated the mess out of me. I'm, and I'm not obstinate. I don't mind the rules if I can make sense of them. Like if the rules make sense, I'll follow them. But if they don't, then it's just sort of, you know, I'll ask questions. So like just finding books that were challenging enough and interesting enough to me was kind of a problem. But that could be solved just because my family knew that I like to read. So they could like buy books for me and enough. But at school, that was a problem because sometimes the books they gave me weren't challenging weren't challenging enough. So they didn't keep my interest. Yeah. And of course, everybody has different learning abilities and growth when it comes to learning and reading. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all, it's all subjective. I, I totally get what they were doing. It just didn't mm-hmm. personally work for me. And so that was your biggest challenge when you first started or earlier on in your life. What would you say is your current challenges these days? Trying to get to that Linda B. Johnson book. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a protein uh, shake before so they get that energy going. <laughs> I got to juice up. <laughs> yeah, I guess it really is just, I, okay, so at this point in my life, because I'm mostly getting all of my books from the library instead of actually buying them, my biggest challenge is getting through them, is, is not checking out as many books as I want. So like, there are lots of books in the libraries. They're like literally libraries full of books. And there's just so many books that are interesting and about things like I want to know about. And I guess I just can't help myself. I'll check out like seven, eight books at a time, knowing good and well that I probably won't be able to get through them all because I do have other things to do throughout the day. And, you know, I, th- I think that's just my book is just being able to say, you know, you're only going to be able to finish at most like two or three of these books in two weeks. So maybe you should like ease back and just write them down and then come back, you know? There's just, there's just so much to read. There's just so much that I want to know. And I only have two eyes. So, <laughs> so it's just that there's just, there's a wealth of information. I don't have an, I don't have the the grip to take it all at the way I want to. Well, you have two eyes. So you have a book for one eye and, and a book, book for, for the, the other. other. Yeah. I'd be like that SpongeBob meme. Yeah. And, then, and you have two ears so you can play two audiobooks at the same time. Boom. You uh-huh. have four books going at the same time. Just overload. <laughs> It's like you got Jake from one book and Sarah from another book. It's like, wait a second, they don't connect together. <laughs> <laughs> and reading books can be very relaxing, but this might be a hard question to answer. But what is the most stressful part about reading books? Stressful? Yeah. Like, mm. let's say, for example, maybe there's a cliffhanger or something that's going to, ha- going to happen, but they keep on dragging it on or, uh, I don't know, a page rips or your book falls and disintegrates in your hands. That's exaggerating. I don't think that's ever happened, but anything that just makes it more stressful. I think perhaps the most stressful thing about books, stressful may not be the right word, but I understand where you're going with it. So because I'm reading a lot of nonfiction books, right? I'm trying to be very specific and be very deliberate when it comes to critical thinking. 
because I can understand because I don't want to just read books that agree with me because that's no fun. Uh, I want to know what other people think. I mean, that's the whole point of reading is to know that other people exist and are just as human as you are. So I when I'm reading nonfiction books, I try to be very, again, deliberate with critical thinking. I try to say, is this true? Just because I agree with it, is it true? Just because I disagree with it doesn't make it true. How does this look in the wider context of things? Does this exist in other places or is this most like a westernized thing? Um, So like if I'm reading the new Negro aesthetic and I'm reading about Elaine Locke and I'm reading about Elaine Locke's thoughts on uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, I'm thinking, okay, I've read some of his, I've read some of Dunbar's poetry. Does this mean true? What parts might he be fading on? How might his background be affecting his own ideas? And so it's a very engaged kind of thing in that way. And it's not necessarily stressful, but it is definitely more than it's, it's not necessarily a relaxing activity. It's a very, it's a very active activity, even if it's just mentally active and physically, I'm just sort of doing my own thing. Yeah. You put yourself in other people's shoes. And I like that idea that you have the divergent thinking where you're keeping an open mind to try to learn new things, which leads me to ask you, has there been a book that you read that you had these ideas beforehand and the book ended up convincing you complete opposite of what you believed in or what you thought, like just, it convinced you to go. Yeah. Okay, cool. (laughs) So a couple of months ago, uh, I saw Dr. Carl Hart on The Breakfast Club. Do you watch The Breakfast Club with Charlemagne and Envy and Angela Yee? Every now and then, but not often. That's valid. Uh, But I was watching an interview (laughs) with Dr. Carl Hart on The Breakfast Club and Envy and Charlemagne were really giving this man a lot of flack. And for some background, Dr. Carl Hart is a neuroscientist who um, specializes on the uh, effects of drug use in the brain. And he's very, um, he's infamous slash famous for his assertion that the ideas, like the ideas of really addictive drugs that we have are necessarily correct. Um, and like people tried out the fact that he like he's casually done heroin and he's done cocaine. He's done a bunch of these other drugs and he's still a tenured professor at Columbia who is very capable and responsible and take care of his home life and his work and everything. So uh, he was on The Breakfast Club to promote his book, Drug Use for Grownups, which is about like exactly what this what the title says about drug use for grownups and how uh, being a responsible adult enables you to enables you to have the right structure to be doing a variety of drugs that society might criminalize or um, stigmatize and how there needs to be better treatment and uh, conversations around drug use because uh, stigmatized drug use is really dangerous, essentially because it prevents people from getting quality products and being able to do things in safe ways. And it will just lead to more death in the future. And so coming into it, I didn't necessarily have a super conservative mindset of, oh my gosh, we can never do drugs. Nancy Reagan was right. And she was always right. And you just say no, and you try it once and you're going to get hooked. And then your mother's going to bury you in a mass grave. I wasn't like that. <laughs> I wasn't like that or anything, but I was definitely more of like this, the sense of like, okay, yes, there are drugs that are perfectly, you know, fine to do, but I wouldn't necessarily go around being like, yeah, you know, you should do this, this, that, and this and that. And you're like, it'll be totally cool. But after reading that book, even though like, again, I myself personally wouldn't be uh, jumping up and down to do heroin or cocaine or anything. After reading that book, it really um, moved me to sort of change my position on the stance of drug legalization uh, because he made a very, very clear argument for why like having uh, illegal drugs and stigmatizing drugs really did lead to a lot of suffering for people who otherwise should not have had it, especially since so many people do 
do drugs responsibly, responsibly, you just never hear about it because why would you? Yeah, I think it was like recently, I think like two years ago or a year ago, marijuana became legal in Canada and uh, there's programs around for safe drug use. So instead of people just using, I feel like this is a drug Inter- interview now <laughs> just <laughs> long story short there are safer ways to do it that they encourage people not to do it but they they kind of say if you do do it do it in a safe environment so you don't harm yourself and it's a weird it's a very complex system that we have going on here but it's not my field of expertise so i can't stand on how to explain how it works but it's a system here and yeah but it's good that it, once again, it allows you to keep an open mind to see, okay, so this is how other people think. Okay, I can integrate this mindset into my own life and just work around that, which I feel like when you're reading a book, you really do have to be open-minded to just everything you're consuming. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with everything, but just being open-minded is a wonderful thing to fully appreciate or understand or enjoy a book. Mm-hmm. You have to, again, uh, books are like, Books are such a solitary artistic process. It's not like podcasting or movie making or theater where there are hundreds or tens or hundreds of people working on it. A book typically is one person and then you have a publisher, you have an editor and maybe a couple of other people looking at it. It's such a small thing that a lot of the person does come through. And I mean, a book really is a person just opening themselves up to you, asking you to understand them. And who am I to say no, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are you to say no, Jade? Who are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm no one to a book. <laughs> <laughs> and this might be a tough one to answer as well, but what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you first started reading? What's something I knew now that I wish I knew when I first started reading? I wish I knew how broad. I mean, like literally every country has books. Uh, there's so <laughs> much. There are so many books out there. Like there are so many books out there. Like a few years ago, Go. I read uh, a dream. What is it? Dream of the Red Chamber, which is a classical Chinese book, and it's it's a really interesting, cool book with really elaborate characters and really like it's totally different from uh, Western classic literature, and yet it's still very similar. Uh, but it's it's different in all the ways that matter. And I just or like you know like uh, they're just different books out there, um, or like things fall apart or something. So like just reading different or anything by like V.S. Nepal. Or or by like Octavia Paz, or for God's sakes, for like anything by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who is and will always be my boy. He's just yeah. so good. <laughs> I wish I just wish I knew how much there was out there to read. Like who do if I was like a little kid, especially when I was a little kid reading middle grade books or like young elementary school books or young adult books, just getting to like exist outside the American bubble because like we for a variety of reasons, we have such a hold on culture. I mean, it's really important that you get to like expand out of what it's it's really easy. It's really, really easy as an American to assume that everything gets to be like America for very, spe- and again, like very specific reasons. And books allow you to break out of that like neo-colonial mindset. Like you get to realize that there were other people who were actually legitimately different and their differences don't make them like any better or worse than you they're just different but those differences matter and those differences are important and i think i would have liked to know that as a child no yeah like like with that in mind this leads me to ask you now this there might not be a perfect answer for this but in your opinion if you have one on this what books would you have wanted now that you know all these type of books like what books do you think would have been good or should be 
taught in school or shared in school or read in school? Okay, so what books should be taught and read in school? Just like in general, like in a history class, an English class, like what's the... I would say, I would say English class, a history class. There's so much history going on right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So for an English class, this is a book that I read in my English class that I think was really good. And I think anything by this author would be really good. Okay, so the three books by him, and I think any one of them could suffice. So John Fowles, who was an English, who was an English author, his book, The Magus, is really fantastic and it is really compelling. His book, The French Lieutenant's Women, Woman, is also really compelling. Very messy, very he was very into messy relationships, which has a lot to do with his personal life, but that's neither here nor there. And I think I okay, I think the collector, John Fowles, the collector, would should be taught English in English classes, if only because. It has like a it's like a very clear genesis for a very specific genre of suspense fiction. Uh, so like if you have you ever seen the Netflix show You? No, but my wife loved it. Okay, so like you, <laughs> me, so me, you, yes, you. Um, so like there's a very th- clear through line uh, for like the collector and you. So I think that'd be really great for kids to kids. I think that'd be really great for teenagers to see. Uh, how books from like this, the mid 20th century have a direct effect on culture today. I think that could be great. Uh, I think a book that could be really cool if it was taught in schools was Gloria Naylor's Mama Day. Gloria Naylor's Mama Day is a good book. That is a good book about the Gullah Geechee woman and sort of like the way that relationships impact people and how culture sort of impacts people. That's just a really good book. And I think there's a lot to be mined there. So Gloria Naylor's Mama Day, John Faust, the Collector. I think that. Ooh, um, Gabriel Garcia Mar- Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude and or, and or, um, what's the one with Santiago? Uh, what's that name? Story of a Death Foretold. Uh, so either 100 Years of Solitude or uh, Story of a Death Foretold, those could be great. Um, just because those are good books. Those are just really, really good books. Yeah, no, those are some, those are some good ones. Things Fall Apart is taught in a lot of schools already. That's pretty classic. Yeah. And on on the flip side, this maybe you once again you might have not have an answer for this, but what books shouldn't be read in school? Or whether it's just because of the context of the book or it's it's just outdated in the way that it's not reflecting what it should be reflecting today, or anything like that. Like what book has been just shoved in every curriculum, but in your opinion, shouldn't? I think that any book with the right I think a book is like a river, right? And it'll take you where it wants to take you and that you can go down different paths. But I mean, like the river is flowing and the river can take you to a variety of different places. I think if you have a right, if you have a good captain, if you have a good teacher, then it shouldn't matter what river or body of water that you're in. I mean, like the the captain will take you where you need to go or in a place that will eventually be good for you, right? So like, there's no reason, and this isn't controversial, but there's no reason you can't teach a variety of books. So if you want to teach... Huckleberry Finn, because uh, if you don't want to teach Huckleberry, mm, woo, you should be able to you should be able to read any book in school, whether it be Anne Rand or uh, Harper Lee or Toni Morrison or James Baldwin or Malcolm X or whomever, or Che Guevara, whoever. If you have a teacher who is ready and willing and able to provide you the context and provide you, most importantly, the space for you to do your own thinking about uh, how these, how these things work, then I think you should be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. The context is important. I don't know why as well, but I remember 
one thing I didn't, I wouldn't say it bothered me growing up and going in school because I went to a French school and in the English classes we had, we read, I don't know, I'd say the typical books. We read uh, Edgar Allan Poe, The Hobbit, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, They got you guys reading To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah, yeah. In Canada, we did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and then we have a bunch of French books. But uh, one thing, I don't know, it feels weird because sometimes books can be very subjective as well and how things can be interpreted. And one thing I've ever I've noticed is that maybe the t- teacher will ask, why did the author write, the chair was blue? What did he mean by that? Mm-hmm. And like, oh, well, it means this. Like, no, 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 that's not what he meant. He meant this. Like, well, how do you know? Maybe they don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's not. Uh, with the fish accent. Okay. <laughs> how do you know? Well, it's funny because I had a professor back in university and this is a, a very interesting professor. And I'm sure we all had interesting teachers in our life. We were reading a book and it was talking about black magic. And then he would be the type of professor that would point to somebody like you answer this question. What is black magic? And this poor girl was like nervous. She's like, um, well, I think it has to do with, uh, dark and evil and stuff like that. And he's like, wrong. And he's like yelling at her. It has to do with racism. And we're like, what the <laughs> hell is Like, what? Like, you, like, relax. It's, like, you could say your point, but you don't have to like berate and just like, yeah. <laughs> And that's like the whole subjective things. And I'm, I'm sure, which same train of thought, have you ever read a book similar to somebody else? So somebody read the same book as you and you both talked about it and you both had different opinions on one, let's say, paragraphs. Like, oh, well, this is what I thought this paragraph meant. And the other person's like, no, 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 this is what I thought it actually meant. I'm going to be honest. I don't talk about books that I read a lot with people, which is something I used to do. And I had a friend that I used to be uh, talk about books with. But uh, we fell off and it actually is a little sad because that is something that I want fulfilled in my life because I do like talking about books. That's something that happens a lot more with television uh, because TV is just so much more easily accessible and books don't have the same sort of cultural dominance that that they might have in the 19th or early 20th centuries. You know, not everybody's reading the the hot new bestseller. I will say there I do read some new contemporary fiction. There was a book by, I want to say Sally Rooney, about that sad Irish couple. Um, what was that book called? Do you know what book I'm talking about? They were sad. They were Irish. They always <laughs> kept running into each other. They sad always kept Irish. running into each other. It was just normal, normal people. That's what the book was called. Normal people. That was the book. <laughs> yeah, I guess I had some different opinions. That's not really about the symbolism of the book, though. That's just about the quality of the writing. I don't think I I do have differences of opinions because I don't hear other people's opinions, which ironically, which is ironic considering the reason that I like to read books. But I hear what you're saying about the the subjective nature of books and how some people are very stringent and very uh, astringent, rather, um, about their interpretations. And I personally am a sucker for symbolism. If if a chair is blue, I will definitely say. Okay, so the author was doing this, this, and that, and here are the things that support my my personal thesis on this. But I, and that's the big thing, right? Like that, there has to be supporting evidence in the book somewhere that the author was leading up to this thing. It just can't be pulled out of a hat like it's some rabbit. And as long, but and I'm willing, I'm legitimately open to sort of any interpretation of a book, as long as as long as there is some sort of textual textual evidence somewhere, whether it be subtext or surtext. I mean, like it doesn't really matter. As long as it's present in the in the novel, I'll be open to understanding it. Because I mean, like, it is it is subjective, and, let, and I don't necessarily believe in the like um, 
the dominance of authorial intent. I'm a death of the author kind of girl. So anybody, everything's fair game, in my opinion, as long as it's supported. Yeah. And once again, that open mindedness helps a lot. And I don't know why I say that a lot. I feel some authors just throw in, let's say, a random element just for kicks and giggles. Like they put in the blue chair because they know somebody's going to go like, what does that blue chair mean? The author's like, oh, I just threw it in just because. (laughs) (laughs) Just to mess with people like, why? And just discuss it. But that's my crazy tinfoil hat theory. (laughs) I won't even lie. Sometimes I do do that when I write because I'm a writer as well as a reader. Because if you're a reader, of course, you're going to have to be a writer somewhere. All that knowledge has to pour out somewhere else. And so when I write, sometimes I am, sometimes I am very detailed and like, this is this and this is that. And this line is going to come back in like 72 pages. It's going to be totally cool. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be great. Uh, And then other times I am like, yeah, this is going to be this because I feel like someone's going to read into it. And this will be, I just want to see what's going to happen if they do. There's, There's real variety there. Watch you write like the tennis ball was left in the corner of the room. Now remember this and then never <laughs> mention it ever again in the book. So the person's like, what, 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 what happens to the tennis ball? They just disregard the rest of the story. They're just like focusing on this tennis ball that was in the corner of the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, for you, or not just for you, but what would you say are some misconceptions about people who read books? That were boring. Reading doesn't make you boring. Reading, being boring is like an, is a different personality trait. You can read and be boring. But it's not a Venn diagram. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, it is a Venn diagram. I don't know. Who cares? But, <laughs> it's not but, that. Whatever that yeah, is, it isn't Whatever that. it is, it's not that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like if you if I told somebody, you know, my hobby is reading, they might think, oh, oh, she's a bit of a homebody. How that that's fun. Uh, but I'm not. I like doing outdoorsy stuff. I like talking to people. I'm not a wallflower. I just also like to read. Uh, it's not a personality trait. It's not my, my whole thing. Uh, but it is something that I'm very passionate about because it's possibly the thing I've been doing in my life for the longest, you know, like it's a hobby. I've been able to read since I was two. Granted, it's not like I've been reading the same books or anything, but I've had the ability. And so it's legitimately possibly the longest, like the longest thing I've ever been, the longest hobby I've ever had. So it's just something that's uh, very integral to me, but it's not my personality. It's not like a whole thing. I don't sit in cafes, stirring the tea, looking wistfully <laughs> out the window. Reading a book thinking, ah, yes, this is the life, you know, it's just a thing. (laughs) It's what you do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. And since it's been such a big part of your life, what would you say it has taught you in life? So just reading in general. Everything that I haven't learned from actual uh, talking to people is something that I've picked up from a book. That's not true. It sounded good, but it's not true. I learned things from TV and movies, too. I don't even know why I said that. It's not good at the moment. <laughs> you just go, but, just go with the flow. Just go it's with it. Just go with it's it. provocative. It's provocative. It gets it. the people going. Um, <laughs> but even though it's not 100% true, I would say at least 64, 65% of the things that I, I currently have in my head are things that I know from a book. And it's, it definitely expanded my world, right? Like with Dr. Carl Hart, or when I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, or when I read Gabriel Garcia Marquez or Laura Restrepo or whoever's books. I mean, those books mattered to me because they changed me in some way. In some ways, it's imperceptible. Just like in the very act of like reading them, you change because time has to pass. So you're just slightly different on the other end. But it's a really interesting bookmark, right? Like reading a book, like reading a book that I read when I was 16 and reading that book now are different experiences because I am fundamentally different. And even though the book is the same, the book means different things to me. 
And when I'm 30 and I read the same book, it'll mean different things then. And it's a really interesting bookmark. So I don't keep journals, but I do keep books. And I think that at some point that kind of becomes the same thing. It reminds me a little bit like when you're watching a TV show, a cartoon as a kid, and you're like laughing. And then when you rewatch that show as an adult, you're like, whoa, that's adult humor. How did I miss this as a kid? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like books, like all arts and entertainment, it's a it's a mirror. And when you're younger, your reflection looks different. But when you're older, you might recognize the same parts of yourself. But your reflection is your reflection is different. There really are benchmarks. Watch people listen to this episode now and then listen to it 10 years later. Like, whoa, what did he mean by that? What was that? Uh Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Subliminal messages here and there. (laughs) Green tennis ball. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. Yeah, yeah. And do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in picking up reading as a hobby? Yeah. So lots of people don't like, lots of people say they don't like reading and I believe them, but also I don't believe them. I think they probably just don't like the books that they're picking out. So think about things that you already like. So if you're a person who quote unquote doesn't like reading, but you're a person who likes like food or cooking or anything, or you're a person who likes uh, uh, travel or a person who likes like water skiing. I don't know. I don't know what other hobbies are. Uh, yes, I do. I listen to your podcast. If you're a person who likes knitting or, or hiking or something or like playing music, there are thousands of books, fiction and nonfiction on the topic that you like. So you just, just think about something that you already like and know that there are at least a hundred books about it and just go from there. Yeah. I guess one of the other misconceptions when people think reading books, they just think fantasy. But in reality, books can come in so many different ways. Like you can read a book about how to renovations or construction. Yeah, it's just reading. You like to, that's the preferred way to consume it. Like there can be books about podcasts. If you enjoy learning more about podcasts and don't want to listen to about podcasts and just reading about podcasts for like, yeah, no, that you're absolutely right. There's books for everything nowadays, like literally sure. everything. Sure. <laughs> and once again, there's multiple ways it can be consumed. Yes, there are. It, there's there's really a way for, a way for everybody. I know lots of people who like listening to audiobooks, and now that's how they get their their books. Now I've asked this question at the beginning of the episode, but I will ask it again at the end. Do you have any social media links, websites, or projects you're working on that you would love to share with the listeners? I sure do. I have my own production company, WGC Productions. It produces fiction podcasts, and uh, currently we have two fiction podcasts, Retribution and Small Victories, which finale came out today. When we recorded, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, uh, but you can find that at the website wgcproductions.com. You can find links there, transcripts, cast, crew, everything at wgcproductions.com. <laughs> and soon the book. <laughs> yes, and soon the book. <laughs> Well, I'll put that down below so people can go check that out and show you some love. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. And now for the last question, the one where you get to stump me, try to put me in a corner with that tennis ball. Do you have any questions for me about reading books? I do. Do you like to read books? Depends on what you define as books. So for me, I do like two types of books. I'm not much into fantasy book reading, but I do like books where I learn how to do things on the go. So if it's like house renovations, like the how-to stuff, and I'm also a pretty big fan of mangas. Oh, what what mangas do you read? Oh, I've read so many, but right now I am currently catching up with my hero of Saitama from One Punch Man because he's bald okay. and bald. Uh, uh-huh. But I've read all of Naruto back in 2014, Shed a Tear, uh, Chainsaw Man. I've read so many different kinds. And for me, I think I like, I guess, fantasy. I guess it's manga fantasy. I just like the way the Japanese tell stories. 
Oh, so you get it. Like, so you get like reading international fiction and seeing how it's different. Yeah, yeah. So then here's a question that you posed to me earlier. When you see the anime for these mangas, do you feel differently about them? Because I know right now I'm watching Attack on Titan and I'm not a manga reader, but I like to go on discussion forums and there are a lot of manga readers there and they're like, oh, this is so different than what it was. They totally took it out. <laughs> Just like that. Um, is that is that you? Like, do you feel do you feel differently about the anime than the manga? Sometimes a lot of times, like I really love the manga, but when it came to the anime, they cut out so much of it that it's just so much important stuff. Like what? Oh no, I can't really enjoy it. But sometimes they did do it justice. Naruto, they did great. Um, but I finished reading that back in 2014 and I think the series ended in 2018 or so. So, mm-hmm. and now I they think, have a new one and everything. Yeah, yeah. I would borrow to and, uh, what else? One piece I am slowly catching up. Oh <laughs> so, man, one piece is like that Linda B. Johnson book. I yeah. try. I've been. I have. I remember starting to watch One Piece when I was like seven, eight, nine. On what was that show that came on after Cartoon Network went off? Tune something. What was that called? Oh, uh, Darth Vader looking guy. <laughs> Darth Vader looking guy. Oh, wait a second. Was this an anime? No, no. Like after after Cartoon Network went off on the channel, there was like the like the adult animation station came out at the end, and like there was a lot of anime on that. Anyway, I've been trying to get through <laughs> One Piece since I was a kid, and I keep restarting, but there's just so much. I am at episode nine hundred and fifty three. So you're better than me. <laughs> I'm, I made it the challenge for myself to finish like catch up this year. Mm. But yeah, to answer your question, I sometimes prefer the manga, not just for the. Um, the visual aspect, but the way the story is told combined with the actual visuals, as in like the actual drawing of the manga, it's just mm-hmm. captivating. And for me, the black and white doesn't bother me. It doesn't. And so, so, but yeah, I really love the stories of Japanese anime and more anime mangas, uh, Korean manhwas as well. Just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but I'm curious to see like how other countries do that. And I'm, that's my style of reading, I guess. If, if you, if you consider that as reading, I know some people don't. I do. I definitely do. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I don't buy the actual mangas. I don't have enough room. So I just read it on my phone. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. 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 But I had to, I do have to say that I think my first introduction where I fell in love with reading mangas and just reading was Dragon Ball. I had all oh. the Dragon Ball mangas in French. Oh, so you do read French. Yeah, French is my first language. Oh, French is your first language. Oh, c'est fantastique. Tu français aussi? Oui, je parle français aussi. Je parle à l'école quand j'étais plus jeune. Oh, wow. On pouvait faire toute cette interview en français. Sorry, I'm just switching to French. I said like, we could just do the whole interview in French. We could have, we could have. Maybe not that. I, I don't get to talk as much in French. Uh, once I graduated high school, like I've been keeping it up because like I listen to RFI or France 24 or something or Kéambalage, which is a YouTube channel. But like, I don't have like a person in person to like talk to or anything. So grammar is all off and I'm not literate anymore. So it's just a thing. Don't worry. French is my first language and I, I'm having trouble with it as well. But if you ever need a French speaking buddy, I'm here for you. And I'm, I'm oh, a, weird, thanks, Alex. a weird segue, but if you're ever looking for a really accurate translator, look up deep L. So it's like D E E P space L. And it's like a fantastic translator. So it's not just French English. It has multiple languages there. If DeepL would like to sponsor this podcast, that was a little <laughs> sponsor uh, tip right there. But <laughs> I feel uh, like we're, we're going all over the place, but I really did enjoy this. And uh, yeah, yeah if, you ever need, if you ever need a French buddy, I'm here for you, buddy. 
<laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, buddy. Oh, but I had a question. Are you wrapping up? I don't want no, to. No, no, no. I'm not wrapping up. I'm wrapping up if you're wrapping up. All right. Well, then I had another question. So since you do speak French, and it's something I've noticed with myself because I buy f- books in French because I want to try to u- be literate again. Uh, do you feel different about the way that you read in French and the way you read in English? In which way? For me in particular, it's kind of odd because English is my uh, first language, my mother language. And like, I'm more fluid in it and I can think differently in it than French. And so like, it's a different experience. Is it the same for you if you read bilingually? I guess not really. The only thing, so for me, I really do visualize the voices in my head. And mm-hmm. I would, for some reason, add an accent to the French and then oh. add an accent to the English. But okay. I'd read them with the same like passion, if that makes any sense. I get that. I get that. No, yeah, that's a weird question. I'm like, it's a weird, weird, good question. I'm like, I never really thought of it. I'm like, hmm, now you have me thinking back, like, how do I read books in French? <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you feel about it? Because like, it's a, it's just a different format. Uh, not a lot or anything, but like the way they do quotes is different. It's, it's just a different, you just think different, engaging different parts of your brain. It's a different experience. Well, I guess for me, the other thing as well is I'm dyslexic. So that adds an extra oh. layer of challenges when it comes to reading. I've gotten a lot better since I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was a big challenge. But yeah, it really, hmm, I guess. Yeah, because I, I process things a little differently from people who are not dyslexic reading books. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, for me, I see them the same. And I also visualize everything as well in my head. And uh, like, I have like a full vivid, like, village going on like if we're talking about lord of the flies for example i picture the whole entire island from like the sea the sand how with distance of everything and the tone of voice for every character how they look even if they don't give descriptions and just like the way they speak i picture how high they are like it's it, my mind runs wild oh if you if you're comfortable um talking about it could you expand on how your dyslexia has affected your reading journey i am definitely comfortable this is something important we know we have to share everybody's experiences because this is going to help other people out so for me i've had a few tutors growing up and my dyslexia so there's a misconception dyslexia is all the same and people see letters backwards for me for my case i do not see letters backwards but for me when i was reading i'm a lot better now but when i was reading as a kid I would have to do everything by how it looks like it sounds. Okay. And when I was reading, I could not read everything in full speed. And I've learned this from my friends and stuff like that. They kind of like scan, like they take a wider range view of all the words and they just automatically fill it in. So kind of using their peripherals. But for me, I have to kind of go word by word. And that's how I would read the things. And I'll go phonically. I think that's the correct term or something like that. Phonetically, yeah. Phonetically, there it is. And uh, so if let's say, do you have social media links? Like I'm reading word per word and just training my eyes to just read it really fast. And that's why sometimes I, in the past, I would used to stumble a lot and I would get super nervous doing oral presentation, not oral presentations, but just reading in front of the class. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was like one of my biggest fears when I was younger is Oh my goodness, I'm going to get embarrassed so much by reading in front of the class and stuff like that. And people are going to make fun of me. Luckily, it wasn't too bad. I covered my dyslexia with confidence. So boom, it balances out. (laughs) So, uh, but nowadays I'm a lot better. I can read a lot better. So I have a job. They they say I can read. So that's good. Uh, I also, (laughs) another thing I used to do to help with my dyslexia is I used to write poetry and write rap songs. So it would force me to expand my vocabulary and learn how words are spelt. Oh, so that, 
So that's quite curious. So in America, um, the Black demographic has uh, on average lower levels of literacy than other demographics. And one of the reasons that is, is because phonetically, right, like like if we're talking in A-V-E, like a lot of Black Americans do, phonetically, the words are spelled different. But of course, you don't necessarily spell them that way because A-V-E is a spoken thing, like written down. It just doesn't look the same. It doesn't flow the same. And so like when when a lot of like young Black American kids read, uh, it's kind of a difficult process to sort of learn the way uh, we're taught to learn because phonetically with the language and the dialect that we know and are comfortable with, the it's not the same, right? So like for like something like ah, ah, I'm going to say ax, but something like ax, uh, ask, uh, it's spelled A-S-K, but it's pronounced in A-V-E-A-X-K. So you would have difficulty knowing that A-S-K is, is like the same word as the word that you say, because it doesn't look the way it sounds. Um, and so it's interesting that you mentioned that you, for, for your dyslexia, you sound things out in that way, especially since your, your first language is French and as somebody who can kind of read French, it's not, it's not the same. It's not the same. Has that, has that, has, uh, has the fact that you like know a different language as your mother tongue, has that at all affected how you've learned, how you've learned to read in English since you sound things out phonetically? So I would, so technically speaking, French and English are my first languages. So I'd speak oh. French to my mother and English to my father. Okay. And okay. so I would learn them parallel and apparently growing up, I had a speech development like i was a little a little slower on speaking because i was learning two languages i was dyslexic and usually the first child when you're teaching two languages take a little longer to learn how to speak like for example yeah. my son right now he's speaking really well and he's we're teaching him english french and my wife is korean so we have all three oh. languages going so i speak to him in french my wife speaks to him in korean and when we're together in the same room we speak english to each other oh what a little champ oh he's gonna be so fluent <laughs> He's going to start telling me things in different languages and combining three languages. I'm like, what? <laughs> but uh, yeah, to answer, sorry, what was your question again? Since you know multiple language languages and those languages look different phonetically, like the way that French words are spelled, like if you try to sound them out, you would not be saying them correctly. Um, but in English, it doesn't, and sometimes it's the same way. Did that at all affect? Oh, go ahead. Uh, I guess, yes. And one of the... French, French is, I'd say, is a more complex language than English because of all the, the yeah. exceptions and the <laughs> genders of things. And, uh, but also one of the simplest things is like when you say E in English, it means like E for elephant, but in French, E means like I for igloo. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's all those things. So you have to like bounce back. But I... I guess as well, when I was processing things, I was processing things in that specific language. Oh, I see. I see. So let's say if I am speaking to somebody in French, I am processing everything in my head in French. If I'm speaking to somebody in English, I'm processing everything in English. When I'm reading a book, it's processing everything in French. Sometimes for fun, not for fun, but like, I'm processing in English. And but that's just like my brain crossing. And of course, and this is common for a lot of bilingual people where if they don't know the word in one language, you're like, ah, uh, what's the word, the, the French word for this? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. So you kind of like forget and you just back and forth. And sometimes I'm in French. I'm like, ah, uh, c'est quoi le mot en anglais pour uh, uh, cheveux, hair, for example. Uh -huh. So there's a lot of like crossing wires when it comes to processing things. And yeah, I guess the biggest challenge when it came to French itself was just the exceptions. <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> 
And for somebody who I'm guessing, is there anybody else in your family who speaks French? No. So for you, learning French from scratch with no other family members to learn from must have been even more difficult. Well, I went to a school that was, um, I went to a school with immersion class, with an immersion class or like my French class. So the minute I started taking French in ninth grade, all the classes were in French. And by the time I was in my senior year of high school, I was in two French classes and all those classes were really in French, which helped quite a bit. Um, And then when I moved to D.C., uh, which has a healthy population of French speakers, every now and then, like on the metro, I would run into people and then we would speak French. Or if I was in an Uber, I'd run into people and then they would speak French. So we'd speak French, uh, even though that was less and less frequent. So I don't I mean, yeah, it was difficult. Uh, It was difficult, but it wasn't. It wasn't impossible, clearly, because I speak it now. So, so I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was harder than you because you were soaking it in from like an early age, but it wasn't too bad. And I guess the last question for you is, what is the most recent French book you've read? Uh, the most recent French book is a, ooh, what is it? Uh, it's a biography uh, from this African man from Ghana. And it's a biography about his life. Uh, no, not Ghana, because Ghana is an English speaking country. Um, Rwanda or. He's he's somewhere. He might be from Maghreb. Congo. Um, he might be from the Congo. That might be real. Um, but it's a biography about a French speaking man whose name I'm forgetting at this moment, uh, which goes to show how well the reading is going, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that guy with the nose and the ears. Yeah, yeah. That person. That one. Yes. Um, he wears the nice hat. But uh, yeah, the most of the French reading I do at this point in time is me going on France 24 every now, every now and then to like just read international news. And you know what? You're expanding your mind, which is the coolest thing, which I really do appreciate. Thank you. (laughs) So there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Jade, for coming on and sharing your passion for reading and jamming out with me about learning French or speaking French. So, on pourrait avoir un autre épisode en français. On pourrait parler même uh, de lire plus de livres ensemble. So, sorry, that's me showing off my French side. Uh, <laughs> you gotta so, do it. You gotta. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I'm only like 200 episodes in. I gotta let people know that, yeah. Yeah, je parle français. Oui, c'est ma première langue. If you guys would like to learn more about Jade, you can go check Jade out. I'll put all the links down below in the description so you can go check it out and show Jade some love. If you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you love my podcast and want to show some support, you can. You can leave a review. You can uh, join a patron. Um, what else? I have merchandise being sold. And yeah. But what you do have to do is go, Joe, go, Joe, go show Jade some love. So, Jade, once again, <laughs> thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. This is a really lovely conversation. Yeah, time really did fly by. Mm-hmm. So, until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.